It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. Joining us now is Steve Harrigan, Fox News correspondent based in Atlanta, but he is often all over the country and all over the world on assignment. And Steve, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Good to be with you, Guy. I was reading your full bio earlier, and I've seen you on our air for many years. You joined Fox in 2001. Before that, you were at CNN for a decade. You've traveled across the globe. You are fluent in Russian. You started your career, in fact, in Moscow. And I wonder, just taking a step back from the day-to-day updates of this conflict in Ukraine and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, what do you make of what Putin might be ultimately thinking at this stage? Because it seems like whatever plan he had in mind has not transpired. What might be his mentality right now based on everything that you've gathered and learned about not just Putin, but just Russian thinking in general over your career? You're, you're right. The plan that they had obviously hasn't worked to take Kiev in two days. Now we're in the fourth week. But what I think and what I feel really scares me, things that I didn't think were possible before this conflict started. I assume the worst that would be shelling and crushing cities and wholesale slaughter of civilians. I think Ukraine's success, Ukraine's heroism in fighting has just made the situation, in my view, even more dangerous and more worse. From seeing Putin for the last 20 years and from living with Russian forces in and around Chechnya as they crushed the city of 400,000 to nothing, they just basically took it off the map, paved it, rebuilt it, and put their own guy in. With that kind of a precedent, uh, I think that chemical weapons and nuclear weapons are not off the table for Vladimir Putin's Russia. I mean, that's obviously a, a chilling thought. Um, what's the alternative, though? Because the, the Ukrainians aren't going to just lie down and allow their country to be taken over because Putin might escalate even further. But the more that the Russians get humiliated on sort of the, the traditional battlefield, maybe the more desperate and angry Putin gets, it could drive him to do even even more destructive things. That's sort of what I'm hearing you say. What's the solution then? Because I think it's unfair to say, well, it could get even worse, Ukraine, surrender. Correct. I'm certainly not advocating that, and I certainly don't expect that. And I think they, you know, will fight to the last man and the last woman. You hear tremendous stories about people just dropping their business in whatever country they're in, Ukrainians from all around the world, returning to fight and to put it on the line. It's been an amazing story, and I expect nothing less from them. But there's a few cities now, I mean, we're seeing the fight for Kiev unsuccessful, but there's a few cities now where the Ukrainian governor or the local official would say, we're basically gone, we're off the map. And the use of traditional weapons, artillery, and long-range missiles are just flattening cities. I think 
The failure has led to an increase in old-school tactics and in deliberate targeting of civilians and hospital civilian infrastructure, trying to make it collapse from within. So I, I don't think there's a solution. If you ask me what I think is going to happen, I think the West is going to stay on the sideline. Putin's going to continue to get beaten and humiliated. And then Putin is going to use Putin, not just Putin, not just one man, not just one crazed, all-powerful leader, but with a lot of people behind him who think this is a fight for Russia's existence. I think they're going to use, at minimum, chemical weapons in Ukraine. Well, I mean, it's just very disturbing to hear you say that. Have you been surprised, Steve, given your experience, some of which you just mentioned, with the Russian military, how poorly they've performed, how ill-equipped they appear to be, how low their morale is, how incompetent this invasion has been in a lot of important ways? Well, we heard about the great changes in the Russian military over the past 20 years. They were embarrassed in Chechnya. I keep going back to that because... It was so important to me to see a major, you know, superpower really get humiliated by a few thousand fighters in a Muslim breakaway republic inside of Russia 20 years ago. They said they'd take it in two hours, and they failed. And 10 years later, they were still fighting. It was really similar what happened with Kiev. They said, oh, even the Americans said, well, they're going to take Kiev. They're going to roll over the Ukrainians and take it in two days. So it wasn't just Russia who was wrong. It was the U.S. who was wrong, and it was almost everybody else who had observed Russia for a long time thinking this could never happen. There's a real gap in understanding about Putin and about Russia and about what the leadership is thinking for so many people to be so wrong about a major invasion. Is there a point at which the Russian people will demand an end to this? I know there are people who are very bravely protesting internally within Russia, facing and staring down potentially 15-year prison sentences for speaking out. They're doing it anyway. But it doesn't seem to be broadly systemic where there's enough of an uprising where the people of Russia have risen up together uh, to say that, that, that they've seen enough, they've had enough. I know that state media has been distorting what's actually happening in Ukraine, what the real dynamics are, what the outcomes are. But at some point, does a defeat or failure become so undeniable that word starts to seep back into Russia and the word spreads enough that the pressures internally could become enough where maybe the calculus would change at the Kremlin? Or would that take quite a long time maybe to get to that point, even with these really shocking estimates of Russian casualties that are very high already. I think you've put your finger on it. I think the thing that's going to move the needle for Russia and Russian families is casualties. You know, anywhere, you know, from five to 10,000, no accurate number. But it's casualties that moved public opinion in Russia on the failure in Afghanistan and that brought down the Soviet Union. And as you say, it might take a year for it to happen. But casualties at this pace, already far outpacing in four weeks, entire U.S. casualties in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, at this pace, it is unsustainable and it might be accelerated. But while you can't compare the suffering that's going on in Ukraine to the economic hardships in Russia, they are dramatic. I mean, I was just reading today about the main airport in Moscow, Sheremetyevo, 
and they basically had to lay off people because no flights are going in and out. You can't pay for things with credit cards. You can't buy things. All stores are shutting. You can't get on, you know, no airlines are servicing. You can't fly in or out. It's really, looking at pictures of their main airport, it was spooky, an airport that's always packed. So I think no matter what state TV says, people know that something weird is going on. And your point about casualties, that's what's going to move the Russian people when their family members are dying and they don't see the point. Since you've raised the specter of a potentially catastrophic event beyond what we've already seen with this Russian destruction, let me put another idea out there and just get your reaction to it. There are probably, and I've heard people in, in conversation, private conversation, even some public conversation, wondering... Would there be a point, forget an uprising of the people of Russia, what about the elites of Russia? What about the military generals? What about the secret services? What about the oligarchs in particular? Is there a point at which Vladimir Putin, beyond whatever level of paranoia he might already have, might have some basis for fear of something like equivalent to a coup or a hostile takeover of of elites at the top echelons of his government and society no longer being willing to go along with or put up with the policy that he is now ordering and leading. Is that a realistic uh, possibility? I think it is a realistic possibility. I think there's really two possible approaches. One is the elite and the oligarchs around him realize that they are being ostracized from the rest of the world and that basically like a mafia Don who's lost his marbles, that this guy is bad for business and because of business, make a business decision, and he has to go. But I think the larger question, the more worrisome question, is just how much of the Russian elite is behind this war. If it's not just in Putin's brain, it's not just his nostalgia for the Soviet past, but whether there's a belief that Russia is fighting a war for its existence against NATO and the U.S., which wants to see Russia on its knees. To the extent that there are more people around him and a lead around him, I think he'll stay. And I think this is a person who's figured out how to be in charge in Russia, to take control away from Yeltsin, away from billionaire businessmen, and in his own hands run the show for 20 years. Consolidate. He's going to be hard to boot. Steve Harrigan, I just want to ask you a little bit here about your career and some of your reflections on it, just because I was looking forward to this conversation, as I mentioned at the top, looking at your bio, you got your start in Moscow. You speak fluent Russian. How did you get into this whole business in the first place? I uh, thought maybe I'd be a spy, uh, but then that didn't seem to suit me. But I really liked the language, so I went over there to teach at a Russian university, and they walked down the hall because Gorbachev had threatened to resign. They said, ah, we need people who speak English and Russian. We'll pay you $100 a day. Well, I had about $900 to my name at that point. So I said, uh, fine, I'll go. And so the first day of work, I had a big boom microphone. They just said, hold it, next to Gorbachev, the big furry mic. And I was standing right next to Gorbachev looking at the red spot on his head in the Kremlin. And I thought, Wait, hang on. Fantastic. The first day of your journalism <laughs> career, day one, yeah. you were standing next to Gorbachev? There were about 50 cameras around him, so it was a scrum. But still, I was just the spot that I saw on TV for months, now I was looking right at it.
<laughs> That's amazing. And you've told a story publicly, and I saw it uh, when we were celebrating 25 years at Fox News, this anecdote that you tell about having been to a lot of very dangerous places through the years, war-torn countries, war zones, uh, terrible, unimaginable conflict, and you were covering all of it uh, across multiple continents. And at some point, there was some boss or executive at Fox who said, all right, Steve Harrigan, you've you've really paid a lot of your dues. You've been out there in, in harm's way. Let's put a tie on you. Let's put you behind a desk somewhere, and you can do more domestic news and, and have more creature comforts. And you said, no, thank you. I want to keep doing this kind of reporting. Why? I, I'm just I'm curious, what yeah. is it about this that drives you that you love so much, even though you know it is much more dangerous to your well-being in some ways than being in New York or D.C. or, or somewhere of your choosing beyond yeah. uh, some of those far-flung I mean, areas. I, I, there are people who go further than I do and take more risks than I do, but I really find it tremendously exciting, on the one hand, just to see firepower in action, just to see to see the fight, and on the other hand, the mystery of what's going to happen you you see a country flip sometimes and to me that is just amazing so are you happy with your decision ultimately not to maybe knock over on the the door of the you know the station chief at the cia in moscow and instead go this journalism route oh it's been uh it's been fantastic it's been so thrilling and uh, you're with great people and you get to see it you get to see history i mean i was in afghanistan i was stuck there you know, uh, my aunt had a funeral I had that was supposed to go back for it. And my cousin said, you're you are watching history happen. You don't know who's going to win this. You're watching it. And uh, I tried to stick to that. Finally, Steve Harrigan, just your thoughts on the recent and tragic loss of two of our colleagues here at Fox News and the wounding of a correspondent, one of your colleagues who's often abroad, Benjamin Hall, who, thank God, has survived, but uh, not not before he was hurt pretty badly. That has to be a particularly sobering and painful development for you. It hurts. It changes the story. It makes us understand what Ukraine is going through. And I think it hurts the whole Fox community. I think, I think it's a different company after this. I think we realize something, a real deep loss. And Pierre Zach. You know, if I'm a five on the scale, he was a 55. I mean, he was the best and the toughest, and I was just in awe watching him. I never had to say a word for, to him. I was in maybe 10 war zones with him, and it was just a wink and a nod. I mean, a real pro, and I'm sorry for his mother. That's what I'm sorry for. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. Steve Harrigan, one of our correspondents here at Fox News, you've seen him for decades on our air and he's got a breather right now but he'll be back at it soon enough and we appreciate the work that you do we'll be watching we'll be listening and hopefully we'll have you back thanks a lot guy you bet steve harrigan on the guy benson show and we will be back right after this was this week's edition of the Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.